Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast. I am very honoured tonight to be talking to two very talented and passionate young naturalists and I don't want to dwell on their age, the fact that they are young, but I think it is important because uh, young people are our future conservationists and wildlife advocates. So I really wanted to talk to uh, these two about their viewpoints on what they think the future holds for nature and conservation and how they got into kind of the, the area of kind of being interested in conservation as well. So first up, we have Indy Green, who is a 15 year old naturalist, conservationist and photographer. And I came to hear about Indy on social media through our former podcast guest, Lucy Lapwing. Um, I think Indy uh, volunteered with her in the past. And then I saw a feature about Indy and his bird watching during lockdown on BBC Springwatch. So welcome to the podcast, Indy. Thanks for coming. No problem. And the second young naturalist that we're talking to today is Senan Powell. And Senan is 16. And I know Senan from Ealing Wildlife Group. She entered our first ever Ealing Wildlife Group wildlife photography competition. And she came, I think it was third place when she was 14. Um, with a picture of a common butterfly on her grandparents' allotment. And since then, uh, Senan and her family have been quite involved in some of our Ealing Wildlife Group habitat kind of volunteer days and things. So Senan, thanks again for agreeing to to join the podcast. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. No worries, no worries. So um, as I said, I'd love to kind of get your viewpoints on kind of the state of nature at the moment and and where you think things are going and what your kind of hopes and, and aspirations are for the future. But starting at the start, I think it'd be useful um, if you could tell me kind of how long you've been interested in wildlife and nature and where it all began. So perhaps maybe we talk start with you, Indy. I've always been obviously immersed in nature from a very young age and uh, my school as well had huge grounds to play around, climb trees, build dens, slide down mudslides, could do whatever we wanted. So it's always been really, well I've always been immersed in nature and kind of took that further when I started volunteering with the RSPB a couple of years ago and um, the Knotts Wildlife Trust all around Nottinghamshire County. So um, yeah, I've just, I've always been in love with it and decided to take it further recently. Yeah, and you're taking it further, you're getting quite into photography just in the last few years, isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. So I got a camera for my birthday, I think nearly three years ago now, and um, that's kind of inspired me to get into nature even more. Yeah, yeah. And what about you, Senan? Where did it all begin, or or how did you start getting interested in nature? Well, um, kind of opposite to Indy. I was first interested in photography, and um, I got my first camera when I was 10, And I don't know, I just started taking photos of flowers and birds. And I think from there kind of got me wondering what they were. Um, And so I started buying books. And from there, really, I think it just grew and grew. However, um, I did watch Spring Watch when I was younger. And I also think that was probably an influence, too, because I was crazy about that. Yeah. And did any of that influence for either of you come from your parents or grandparents that were interested or? Um, no, surprisingly not. My dad was, well, he's not, he didn't necessarily point out birds, but when I 
talk to him about it, he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. But um, no, I don't think it particularly stemmed from them. Yeah. And Selin, you're obviously in Ealing in West London, maybe fairly urban environment. So maybe have less opportunity to um, explore lots and lots of really, truly wild areas. And Indy, I think you're probably the opposite. I, I've looked at your Instagram and I'm frequently jealous about the amazing wildlife on your doorstep. So go on. Now is your chance to gloat. Tell us tell us what you have on your doorstep, habitat wise and species wise. <laughs> well it's um it's actually quite a the habitat isn't great but the wildlife is great it's, it's kind of a weird combination so it's kind of a um it's a commercially um forested pine forest um which is part of the area and then just kind of really heavily cultivated arable fields in front so you wouldn't actually um suspect that the amount of wildlife that i get is actually from this habitat but it is um, and this morning I was watching a couple of crossbills down at a small pool I keep tucked all year round, topped up all year round, mm. um, and a couple of hawfinches um, in a kind of small clump of cherry trees and the pine trees just down the road. And um, last week even a rare honey buzzard that flew over. So it's um, it's actually a surprisingly really good spot for birding. I was going to say, you're making all the birders listening like very jealous now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah um what is it like you both obviously come to kind of nature appreciation and, and wildlife appreciation in different ways I suppose um and opposite ways but what is it about nature that kind of fascinates you or that you try and um make time for why why has it become such a passion of yours Senan maybe you can go first um I just well at first I was like fascinated by the way it looked and how perfect it was and how um, adapted it was to its surroundings and now more like um, I'm fascinated by its behavior and how that how like as a whole it all works together in like one big ecosystem and I just um, it's very humbling because there are things that happen in the natural world that humans can't even begin to think to achieve and um, I just like that because it makes me feel like smaller but in a good way yeah yeah, yeah, it's uh, an amazing system going on out there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and what about you, Indy? What is it about nature that kind of draws you out? Because you, you do seem to spend quite a lot of time, I, th- I think, daily probably out in nature, do you? Oh, yes. I mean, I just love that there's um, there's always stuff to learn. Like you, like you can go outside, like just today, I, I had no idea that we um, got six-spot burning moths in Nottinghamshire. I just thought they were a completely northern species. I was absolutely clueless about that until a friend messaged me and said, hey, I got this in Sherwood Forest today. Um, so after the work party today, I actually cycled a different way home and um, I found them. So it's always that not knowing of what you're going to see when you go out and then learning about it. And it's just, it's just there's, you can never, there's always stuff to learn. You can always go out and learn. Um, which is what I think is really fantastic. You can spend your life learning about nature and still not, uh, apart from David Attenborough, of course, and still still not know everything about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think even David Attenborough would agree that, you know, he doesn't know everything. And um, that's that's for me as well. I think one of the, the appeals is that I'm I'm quite happy now at this stage to say I'm never going to be a moth expert or I'm never going to be a beetle expert. I'm kind of like a, a very generalist naturalist and know a lot. A little about a lot, but, uh, you know, you could spend your whole life just studying fungi or just studying certain, um, you know, certain animals or plants and things and still not know it all. It is a, a real, uh, real kind of benefit of, of nature. 
And um, during lockdown, guys, how how have you found it during lockdown? Because obviously we were all quite restricted. For me, I think it's been uh, it's been so important for me to get outside and um, reconnect with nature. But how have you guys been coping with lockdown? Indy, you're doing all right, I'd say, in the countryside, are you? Yeah, I've, um, I mean, um, kind of forgetting the point and all the tragic loss of it, well, that's behind lockdown. Yeah. I've actually really enjoyed it. Not much of my life has actually changed, apart from doing all my um, homeschooling lessons online and um, not doing the Sherwood Forest and the um, RSPB work parties anymore. Yeah. Um, the benefit to wildlife, which is basically all I care about, has been absolutely fantastic. I've just seen, like, the Sherwood Forest, which is, especially at this time of year, is just normally brimming absolutely brimming with people but it's been so nice and quiet all the wildlife there is thriving certain birds have been turning up that you would never even have thought you would imagine to see before yeah um, and obviously there have been some kind of um some kind of little risk with birds nesting really close or even on paths um so there has been kind of there was kind of a bit of trouble when restrictions started to be lifted but otherwise i've just really really enjoyed the peace and quiet and slowing down actually yeah yeah, and what about you, Senan? Have you been getting out in nature much during lockdown? Uh, well, we have the allotment close to us, which is good. And we've actually put a trail camera up, which we've had for two years and done nothing with. And we managed to get some foxes in that. Okay. So um, that's been cool. But um, yeah. not much else. I've been at home doing random stuff. I taught myself bass guitar because I had the time. But um, yeah. I heard about I this, yeah. Um, because we're in an urban area, I guess it's like a bit harder to get out more. Yeah, yeah. And have you been using your camera, like bringing that to the allotment or or bringing that out? Uh, yeah, I did. I was doing um, photography whilst we were doing meant to be doing homeschool. So I completely missed about five lessons, I would say, <laughs> which is quite bad. But um, That's a good thing to admit on the podcast, Senan. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, the allotment's good because it has loads of flowers and insects and I just photograph those all the time. Yeah, yeah. Is that where you saw your uh, your fox and the, you did the, the Sean McCormick manoeuvre to photograph it? Yeah. <laughs> Indy's probably like, what's that? Do you want to explain what that is? It's basically, well, we were on like a camping trip a while back and you were taking photos of like dung flies or something like that, and you got dung beetles dung on a cow pad. Yeah. on a cow pad. and you um went like laid belly down um to take a really close up photo, and everyone was just taking photos of you like flat on your front, and it was just that's what it came about. Yeah, yeah it it they didn't turn out to be too flattering those photos, but I got an excellent picture of dung beetles and dung flies on a cow pad. But it's all about a uh, perspective, right? Get it, getting down at eye level to a dung fly or a dung beetle, <laughs> and, and your fox, your fox photo came out very well for that effect. And then, so congrats. <laughs> oh, thank you. Good stuff. Well, um, look, talking about about your Instagram is probably a good time to uh, to talk about them because I think you are both, although you're you know um, very passionate young naturalists, I think you're also very talented um, photographers. So, um, Senan, what is your Instagram handle again, if people want to have a look? Henharia15. 
Ken Harrier 15. And yours, Indy? Uh, green Indy, so it's G-R-E-E-N-E and then I-N-D-Y. Cool. And yeah, I do follow you both. And um, as I said, quite frequently jealous of Indy's amazing species and uh, Senin's amazing creativity. I'm looking at one now, which is um, like traffic trails, night bus, Senin. Oh, yeah. Pretty abstract. That's beautiful. Um, and the the one I like that I, I think I've talked to you about before on um, Indy, if you have a look at Zenin's uh, profile, if you can, um, there's a picture of a hoverfly, I think it is, on a pink and yellow background. It looks like, I don't know, candy floss or something. Really crazy yeah. image. Yeah. How did you manage that one? Um, well, that was me photographizing in the middle of a lesson when I wasn't meant to be. So the the yellow was actually my chemistry book, and um, I just put up a <sighs> blanket in the background because I thought it would they're nice colours that go together. It's very uh, yeah cartoonified uh, and creative. Well done, <laughs> very cool. And India, I guess we can't talk about your um, Instagram without your very recent adventures up in the Peak District, was it? It certainly was. Yes. What, what, what were you after? You've been you've been in the media again uh, for your for your passion for birds and the photography. What uh, what were you chasing around the Peak District in the last week or so? Yes, so um, it's only the second record for the UK and it's got a three metre wingspan and I was looking for the bearded vulture and uh, like I said, it's only the second record for the UK and um, last Sunday a friend messaged me um, quite late in the evening and he said, I'm going to drive up to the bearded vulture tomorrow, do you want to come with me? And I was like, yes. So I sat on his back seat and he picked me up. Um, well, he, we were going to, he was going to pick me up at 4am because we heard the parking was a bit of a nightmare. Um, so he, so I said, okay, right, I'll try and get some sleep now. And then he messaged me again five minutes later saying, actually, I've heard the parking's really bad. I'll pick you up at 3 a.m. And I was like, okay, right, I better go to sleep this second then. And then he said, actually, I've heard the parking's really, really bad. So I'll pick you up at 2 a.m. And I was like, okay, right, I'll stay up all night then. So I stayed up all night um, sitting by the moth trap. And um, he, I, he picked me up and we drove there. It was about an hour's drive. Um, and it was almost a two-hour trek over the very boggy and uh, very wet feet moorland yeah. and we arrived just before sunrise and the bird was sat on the cliff face there were around 300 other birders watching it on this ridge um and we just sat down we waited for five hours for it to take off so we really wanted to see that three meter wingspan um and then when it did take off it flew about five meters and we were like okay that was a bit disappointing because it just sat on a rock below its roost site on the cliff um, we waited another 15 minutes and then it flew beneath us through the valley that we were all stood across. Yeah. And then it just rose at eye level with us and then just started circling 10 meters above the entire group's head. Um, and it was just absolutely magical. And we could, I was, I was looking through my camera lens as well, we all were, and we could just see the bird's eye just staring down at us. It wasn't phase burst at all. It was just purely just flying around, circling, um, and it was just, it was the most crazy thing. I remember I was i was taking loads and loads of photos, as you would. And um, I remember just thinking, actually, for a second, I was going to take my eye away from the camera. And, yeah. um, and I got my phone out because I wanted to get a picture of the bird watchers with the, with the vulture in front. Yeah. And um, I took this one photo and I put my phone straight back in my pocket again. And then I just looked at the bird and I just thought, oh, my goodness me. It was the biggest bird I've ever, ever seen. And that photo I took has actually got... 
um, quite a lot of reception, and it's um, it's been really great actually. Uh, but what a bird as well! It's just fantastic species, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. I've seen the picture of it uh, staring into the camera, and that little beard you got perfectly as well. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's called a lammergeier as well, isn't it? That's the other name for it. Yeah, so yeah, lammergeier or yeah, bearded vulture. People prefer bearded vulture because lammergeier basically means um, not quite sure what the direct translation is, but it kind of means like goat or sheep killer or something. Okay. Which is actually which is actually completely incorrect, and in that obviously shrouds its view of most people. Uh, but actually, eighty-five percent of the bearded vulture's diet is of bones, so they don't actually kill. Um, well, any animal, um, it's always very rare to see that. They just kind of scavenge. And um, critical fact that I learned a couple of nights ago, actually, is that where they come from in the Alps or the Pyrenees, they actually breed during the winter because they scavenge on creatures that have been caught up in avalanches. Right. How I mean, how cool is that evolution? Like, that's the, no, it's the best. Or if, like, perished in the cold, yeah. That's amazing. Very good. I don't think either of us can top that story, Selling, can we? No. <laughs> um, I, birds of prey, though. I think I'm, I'm looking at another picture on your Selling of a, a sparrowhawk, um, which looks pretty cool. So I think the thing is you can, you know, you can revel in the ordinary everyday wildlife just as much as you can in the, like, you know, only been in the country once before. Um, that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so kind of, uh, you know, thinking bigger picture and where we are and the state of nature and conservation in the UK today. Um, are you guys, we hear a lot about kind of eco anxiety and, and things. Are you guys worried about um, kind of the planet and, and state of nature and where we're going? Do you think the future is hopeful or do you think like, like we're in big, big trouble? Um how how are you guys feeling about that? Senna, maybe we start with you. Um, probably big trouble because um, obviously climate change and ecosystem collapse, etc. It's not something that you can just solve last minute, which is what we do as a species generally. Mm. But so you know, it's trying to get awareness in people before the like the consequences actually start happening, which is very hard. But um, I think if enough people get on board and convince enough people and you see that we're trying to do something, then hopefully there can be some significant movement towards a um, more sustainable future. But I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. And sending you volunteer, do you, or you sit on account the council, youth council for the RSPB? Is that right? Yeah. So what, what does that involve? Um, so we meet four times a year, but we're thinking of extending that to six with yeah. a couple of smaller meetings in between. And basically, we um, talk to some of the, their, I think, their youth staff, something like that. And then they'll submit our ideas to the actual council of the RSPB. And um, hopefully we make some change through that. So recently, we've been talking about something called movement building, which is basically... Um, campaigning and raising awareness and that was in our last meeting so and we're thinking of trying to get more involved like actually sitting in on a rspb council meeting which is cool so yeah it's lots of fun great because you can um actually make making a difference yeah and being involved and indy what about you are you worried or hopeful or or a mixture of both 
I mean, I I was just actually Watson Watson was talking there. She's absolutely right about everything she said. I was just uh, reading a post I did on the third on the first of July actually on Instagram, and it was the day where it was the Climate Coalition Day. So we had like some, some fantastic webinars there, to, uh, lobbying our MPs talking about climate and biodiversity loss, and um, and of course our bright leader Boris Johnson. Um, absolutely just slammed wildlife uh, and just basically called it an inconvenience and it was just it was so so incredibly disheartening and what you said at the beginning about eco-anxiety is definitely definitely kicking in with me at the moment I just um, I remember a couple of months ago I just literally couldn't sleep and it was probably that night and I just um, no I'm just sick with worry like, like so many other people but it's it's it, it is a real problem. I just, it really baffles me that like, people in power just don't see it. I, either they just, they do see it or they're just way too scared to tackle the problem and they're just too busy in their own little world. But it's just, I mean, I, I, I won't start ranting about it, but it's, yeah, um, yeah, no. it, 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 it is a real problem and it, and it just needs to be solved. Yeah, yeah. And you're doing your own little bit as well, right? You mentioned that you volunteer for the RSPB and um, someone else. Yeah, so I was actually on a work party today. It was the second one back since um, right since around March when we all started to kick off. Um, and we were, what we were doing today, we were it was it was kind of um, kind of like public kind of jobs. It, cause we can't do too much scrub work at the moment because all the nesting birds and wildlife. So that's yeah. have to uh, be on hold till winter and autumn. Um, so we were what we we're doing today. We were removing small fence posts and kind of um, putting some new rails up around the famous major oak of Sherwood Forest. Um, so that was um, that was really good. We were treated to an ice cream as well, so that was a nice little bonus. But um, yeah, I volunteer with the RSPB um, mostly all year round, doing walks, talks, um, the work party, conservation work, and a bit of stuff with the Knox Wildlife Trust and BTO as well. Yeah, very good. Yeah, and that's where you met Lucy Lapwing, right, in Sherwood Forest. So I met Lucy around. Uh, nearly three years ago now, um, and I actually saw her on Friday. Um, oh. We were watching Night Jones together with a couple of friends in Glowworms as well. Um, yeah, no, she's she's absolutely fantastic. She sure is. She sure is. You should have a listen to her episode. I think I think she mentioned you at the end of it actually, which is why I got in touch. I, I actually listened to that. That was one of my favourites you've done so far. That was that was a really really good conversation. I really enjoyed it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so, but dare I ask, I mean, you might not know or have uh, your kind of mindset on it yet, but um, what are you thinking for the future in terms of career? Are your, are your careers in wildlife conservation or anything like that? Um, have you thought that far ahead? Sending you're closer to, uh, to having to make those decisions. So what, what are you thinking at the moment? Fun times. Um, well, I haven't even decided properly what A-levels I'm taking. So, right. Um, but um, either zoology, I think, or somewhere in that area, or photography, perhaps a photography degree. Yeah. But then, um, obviously, you don't have to go to university. So I could always just go and do conservation work, which is very appealing. But whether that would be sustainable is another question. Yeah. But yeah, I don't okay. know. So it's up in the air, up for grabs. Yeah. Good stuff. What about you, Indy? Have you thought that far ahead? I mean, um, I mean, uh, actually, ironically, bringing Lucy up again, she's kind of um, 
um, and to a credit, kind of showed me a whole different side of the natural world because I remember when I was, um, well, yeah, when I was younger, I'm only 15, um, but kind of like a couple of years ago, I was kind of just sort of solidly just interested in birds. But when um, when I met Lucy, we used to go out on walks um, over over Budby South Forest, which is connected to Sherwood, and um, she used to show me like loads of different types of bees and beetle species, and I'm just like, how on earth have I missed and basically ignored all this, even though it's literally been under my feet the whole time and um now i just literally find myself just staring at the ground as well as the sky so it's um kind of multitasking while out wildlife watching but it's um no she really has just kind of turned it around and sort of shown me different sides of um conservation that i could uh work in and that's kind of got me thinking about what to do and i don't have an honest answer yet to tell you the truth you don't need one yet that's fine <laughs> i i was yeah I was stubbornly, I'm going to be a vet from the time I was about seven, I think, but that that wasn't necessarily a good plan. So don't worry about it just yet if you're not sure. That would be my advice as an, as an old bogey. <laughs> um, what, about, what about getting more young people involved? I think that one of the issues we face with um, kind of, you know, helping the earth and climate change and appreciating, you know, biodiversity and why it's important I think one of the problems is that just a lot of people, you know, of various generations just don't really know much about it. How do we get more young people involved or learning about the importance of, of kind of biodiversity, nature and wildlife, do you think? Indy, maybe we start with you. I mean, it's uh, what, what I talked about to um, BBC's Midlands a couple of weeks ago in an interview there um, was kind of showing like young people especially that nature is actually cool um so remember when i was at school um because i'm homeschooled now when I, when I was at school i was always kind of like the um yeah and suppose i still am the weird one and um, kind of like the nerdy kids like everyone i was i can i can identify with that indy don't worry <laughs> yeah i'm sure a lot of other people can as well actually um but yeah my primary school had like i said a big plot of land behind the school and um, big forest and kind of a little river and everything um, so that was always great. So that's obviously a lot of where my kind of wildlife um, well, inspiration and love came from. But um, and, and so did everyone else. I know a lot of people from that school have um, gone to be climate activists and everything as well. So that's really fantastic. But it's it's still there's still a few young people to convince that it's not. I mean, everyone's got every, everyone's got their inner nerd about whatever topic it, it, it may be. Mm-hmm. But it's just showing that nature is that can be one of those categories that you can actually be. Um, really fascinating you can just delve into and spend your life focusing on um so it's just it's just that kind of perception that it's something that you can be interested in not something you should be embarrassed about yeah yeah i think then and you've discussed that with me before as well that like there's not a huge amount done in schools but your school is pretty good am i right in remembering that um yeah my my school has huge grounds and um we have a pond as well and a farm, would you believe it? So, um, I mean, they're very encouraging to get people out and about and um, exploring. But um, I think it'd be better if they, I know, pushed pushed it more. Like, obviously, everybody wants the like a natural history GCSE to happen. But I think that'd be great because it would give people another um, option to learn about this kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. But I don't even know how you 
Dr. Well, um, what, like another one of my former guests, Mary Caldwell, a good friend of mine, um, in one of the very first podcast episodes I did, she's actually the one who put forward the idea for um, a natural history uh, GCSE. And um, it is it is being discussed by the exams board and education board now. So hopefully, you know, in a, a few years time, that will be an option. But I think, yeah, it will kind of um, legitimize or, or maybe uh, make it a little bit more a little bit less nerdy or, or strange because um, I definitely had that experience growing up that you know if I was interested in birds you know some of the guys at school would be like why are you looking at birds like what? you know you weirdo um so it is kind of seen as as a kind of a, a nerdy or geeky topic isn't it sometimes um do you think there's any sending maybe this one for you you know growing up in in London um do you think there's a, a disadvantage for urban kids in terms of not being able to get out in nature and any suggestions on how um other schools you know who maybe are in very urban areas can can kind of engage their pupils with nature and wildlife um yeah i don't even know i feel like we're an advantage because many people are put off like oh go trek over the countryside to see this kind of stuff but you're walking along the street like oh there's a pigeon oh there's a fox you know and um but because it's so busy in cities people often just walk past but um i think if you raise like awareness that those things are there i'm sure people would be shocked that they actually are there but once you um start looking for them you notice that they're actually everywhere in urban areas so um i think it'd be quite easy to encourage um young people to find wildlife cuz it's, it's kind of it's a shared habitat, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the city and so humans and animals can live in the same place. Yeah. And symbiotically. That's down to schools, you think? Teachers and or who do you think is Um I would like to say yes, but then probably more on a personal level, like knowing groups like the Healing Wildlife Group and um just knowing people who are interested in that kind of stuff, maybe going on a bat walk. And eventually you kind of build up an interest. I think it's more a more natural way of doing it rather than um, streamlining it. Yeah, or maybe if you're, if schools are forcing it on people, they'll just not be interested then. Potentially. Perhaps, I don't I, I honestly don't know. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? It's like almost if you try and be too preachy about it or like make it a, you know, a subject that you're examined on then maybe kids will like turn off and be like oh I hate natural history <laughs> could go the other way yeah 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 well look yeah. um talking a bit more kind of positively let's not let's not dwell on the doom and gloom and uh, state of nature and things um obviously both of you have had some pretty cool travels and uh, wildlife adventures and things but what has been um any of some of your favorite wildlife encounters over the last couple of years uh indy we'll go to you first hard question oh, hard question is a good good question i suppose well, something that was really um actually just magical god i'm gonna bring up lucy again it was um i was um with lucy and a friend of mine who works at the bbc jack adams and um, we found kind of collectively a lesser spotted woodpecker nest in Sherwood forest oh yeah and that was just the most amazing thing. I remember I remember Jack messaging me. He said, look, I found some wood chippings under this tree. I've seen less spots around it before. Keep an eye on it. 
Then I was doing a guided walk there, and I just happened to look across, and a female flew out of the hole, and I just thought, okay, this is happening, and I didn't want to point it out to anyone else because I wanted to try and keep it a secret, so I had to sort of contain my extreme excitement. Um, but then we watched it, and we monitored it for quite a while, and we got a team in from Sussex who had this really long camera, um, which were able to look inside the nest and um, had a little flashlight on it so we could see all the eggs and the adults and the chicks and then just add it as they developed and grew that spring. Um, so that was that was really um, kind of really special because they're such a rare bird. Only around 13 nests are actually found each year in the UK um, and we actually found two of them in Sherwood. So that was a, a, a real privilege actually. That was, that was, that was a really, really cool. Wow. 13, one, three. Yes, yeah. Wow, wow. That's amazing. Um, and another one, which maybe we'll come back to in a second, I will ask Senan first, but let's talk about your long-eared owl moment after we hear from Senan. Because that was, that was, you know, I was, I was green with envy on that one. That's a bird I've never managed to track down. Um, what about you, Senan? Any um, amazing wildlife encounters that really stick out in your mind or uh, surprised you or filled you with glee? Well, See, I can't be sure on this wildlife encounter, and I'll explain why, but I may have seen a golden oriole, and I'm not sure. Right. So um, um, in the Peak District, I think they have them up there, and we're on the top of this hill, my sister's ahead, and then this yellow and black thing flies out this tree away from us, as typical of interesting birds. Um it was really cool, like, just for a second, I was like, oh, my God, it's a golden oriole, because there aren't any yellow and black birds that I know of, apart from that one. So that was really cool. And I think it was, you know, better, because it was just for a second, because, you know, it made it more special. And now you'll always wonder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. So um, in my mind, it's a golden oriole, but in reality, it's probably a pigeon or something. I don't know. No. Wasn't a green woodpecker, was it? Oh, why did you say that? Oh, no. sorry, sorry, sorry. I just think yellow, <laughs> yellow flying away. I'm always no. like, maybe it's a green woodpecker. But no, look, it was it was definitely a uh, golden oh. oriole. Don't you agree, Indy? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, sure. Yeah, I mean, green woodpeckers don't have black on them, so we can rule that out. That's fine. That's, That's true. Fine. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. And then, Indy, back to you then with the, the long-eared owl uh, moment that you posted, or moments. You, um, you, am I right in saying you heard some strange noises and followed them to the... Yeah, so it's, um, it's kind of a... a um, I mean, I think most people can probably guess, but it's a, um, what I, I'm going to continue to call a top-secret location in Nottinghamshire. Um, it's, um, I, it's, it's a common site that... Um, well, not common site, but it's a place that they've used over the years. Um, that they raise their chicks and they kind of roost and can be seen in the day. Um, so I tried for about four consecutive days and failing to see, well, I failed to see nothing, um, apart from, ironically, a green woodpecker. Um, but I, um, I remember on the last day, I thought, well, if I don't catch them today, then forget about it. Um, and I parked my bike up against a fallen tree and I walked around to the site where they usually could be. Um, and then I thought, okay, well, forget it then screw that and then I started walking back to my bike and then I just looked happened just happened to look over to my left and in about four meters away from me in this tiny pine tree there was an adult long-eared owl sat there with its kind of eyes half open half shut didn't really care about me and it was just sat there looking at me 
and I just my draw my draw jaw just hit the floor and I was just like okay this is happening yeah. I slowly lowered my bag and then I got some photos which I posted on Insta later in the evening but then I um, sat down with the owl and I had my lunch and um, I was just yeah having casually having lunch with long ear owl and um, and then I heard this kind of what's often described as a squeaky gate yeah. and it was the chicks and it was just a couple of meters behind the adults I've no idea how I didn't actually see it um and yeah, there were three chicks all together and they were all sat in a row squeaking and looking at me. And that was, I mean, that did actually make me cry because I just thought this is just the craziest thing ever. I I'd tried so many times. They must have been there, but I just I was probably looking for insects like Lisa Lapwing always told me to do. Yeah. <laughs> but I just wasn't looking at the trees. And then, um, yeah, I just, there was, and every day since I've gone back and I've always seen them. Um, and I spent a couple of evenings with them, and um, I've got night. I've got a video of Nightjar and Longeared Owl calling side by side. Oh, Senen, what is this? Mm. We should. <laughs> He's just rubbing it in now. <laughs> um, so, what's coming up next, Senen? You're um, moving into kind of a level zone, are you? Maybe. Yeah. And having to decide on what you're going to do. Yeah, it just definitely biology, but maths, uh, I don't know if I can make it through maths A level. I enjoy it, but I'm I'm very I'm ishy at arithmetic, so right. that's probably a bad way to go, but I don't know. <laughs> and uh still still learning bass guitar, yeah, and being really cool. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we've got like at the beginning of lockdown, we had zero guitars, and now we have six. I don't oh know. My how. God. But we, my mum went to like loads of charity shops and just got. She's like, "Here's another bass guitar." So we have two bass guitars, an electric guitar, and two acoustic guitars. Like, so I mean, I'm learning every string instrument there is. So by the end of this, I'll be able to do my own orchestra or rock band. You know, brilliant. Um, I think yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna say that does sound like your mum because your mum is a little bit mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Louise, when you're listening to this episode, but it's true. It's true. Yeah. In a good way. Um, and what about you, Indy? What's coming up in the next year or so for you? Um, it's getting towards exam time. Yay! That should be next summer. Um, all being well. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of only the boring thing I've got to look forward to. But otherwise, um. I've, yeah, I've, I've not really got much on like the rest of the world at the moment, but I'm hopefully, um, well, I was actually supposed to be driving up to the Isle of Mole today um, to spend a couple of weeks there volunteering, so that's, um, that's sad, but I'm thinking about maybe going later in the year, um, but mm. as I imagine, the rest of the world, so I might just leave it till next year, but otherwise, yeah, exams next summer. Good stuff, good stuff. Now, to, before we close off, do you guys, I want to ask, do you have any top tips for um, other young people starting out either in kind of wildlife and nature conservation? What should they do? How do they get into it? Um, and in photography as well. Um, so maybe, Senan, for you, photography, how how would you uh, kind of encourage people, young people, to get started with photography? Basically, I would not read any photography manuals at all. I'd just take a camera and whatever looks interesting, just take a photo of it and just keep doing that. And you'll eventually find what, you know, you think looks um, cool and, and then read a photography manual and learn stuff. That's how I did it. Would you agree with that, Indy? 
I would. I've got, uh, like I said, I've got a camera. I still don't know what half the buttons do. When I first got it, I was just so yeah, desperate right. to take a photo, like Zen, and I just went out and thought, snap, 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 snap. I don't get what it looks like. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, I've, got, I've got a bit more picky now, and I'm sort of, um, um, yeah, I'm a bit more selective about what I take photos of. But again, it's things like getting eye level with the subject and then um, trying to get that kind of decent close up shot. But um, yeah, being careful about it at the same time. But yeah, I'm starting to read the photography manual now because there are some buttons that I'm thinking what do you do um just to just to make it better but no at first just go for it just snap away yeah auto mode is your friend right <laughs> absolutely it was a very good friend of mine starting out still is I still haven't got off it so <laughs> don't worry I, um, I don't have time to read a photography manual I'm like yeah the buttons can stay unused for quite some time yeah <laughs> Good stuff. What about getting into um, getting an interest in wildlife? If someone has a, a, a kind of slight interest, how should they get involved in wildlife conservation? I think you'd probably both recommend volunteering in some way, would you? Yeah, I yeah, I definitely do. Um, I I mean, when I heard the RS people was taking over Sherwood, I was just itching to get down there and say, hey, can I join? Yeah. Um, and it, it is great, actually, especially the RSVB in particular. They've just... Um, no, they've been absolutely really great to me considering I'm only 15 and there's obviously a level of risk taking on an underage kid but um it's no it's been it's been absolutely fantastic they've been absolutely brilliant I've really made some good friends there um but yeah just kind of if even if that's not if that's not if that doesn't float your boat volunteering then just um yeah just just get outside all I can say is just get outside what I always tell people is just get a pond because that's one of the best and most effective ways to attract wildlife to your garden. Yeah. I mean, I and I could I just sit there for hours on end just staring at the tadpoles and little froglets emerging and all the little shrimps and everything, damselflies, dragonflies, the list can go on forever. It's yeah. just it just observing garden wildlife is just the, one of the best ways to start, especially at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Any other tips from you, Simon? Um... Well, I started out with um just reading loads and loads of books and when you're not when you're new to this kind of stuff, just flipping through five pages of um the RFPB bird manual, like, wow, this stuff actually exists. And just by doing that you're like in instantly interested to see these kind of things. Yeah. So um yeah, just research stuff. Yeah. Is my and then when you see it in real life, it's like all the better because you recognize it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, cool. So finally, to finish up then, any um, young kind of naturalists um, that you follow on social media or that you're friends with that you'd recommend people follow? Um, good content, good Instagram profiles. Indy? Yeah. Uh, gosh, who can I choose? Oh, uh, I've someone who um, yeah, we were messaging a lot recently is someone called James Miller, and his Twitter, uh, sorry, Instagram tag is James Miller Nature, and um, he has some really well thought out posts and actually really good photos too. He lives um, down in Surrey, I believe, and um, he's got some local Dartford warblers on his on his local heath. I'm actually really jealous of that because I've never actually seen a Dartford warbler, but um, yeah, no, he's 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 a great guy. Um, yeah, I definitely go for it. Yeah. yeah, and what about you, Senan? Any any favourites that people should follow? Um, weirdly, recently, Chris Packham's daughter, I think Megan. Oh yeah, Megan. Megan. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, because she was on Spring Watch this year, and she's just um, she's really good at 
talking about like what's going on with wildlife specifically and um like politically and um she's been talking about hs2 and stuff and i think if you just want to be aware about what's actually like going on in real like what's happening yeah. um, then definitely follow her yeah good stuff right well guys i think we could talk for ages but it's been really great to get your uh your thoughts and your insights on where we are with nature and hear all about your um your passions and things and definitely anyone listening who's enjoyed it i would encourage you to go on um to senin and indy's instagram feeds to see their photography um i don't think i'll ever reach those levels and i'm very sad about that but i've made peace with it i'm on auto mode still Um, so yeah, uh, just a reminder, Indy, you are green Indy, green with an E on the end and I-N-D-Y. And then Senan, your hen harrier 15, yeah? Yeah. Brilliant. All right, well, guys, thanks so much again for joining us. And um, if you've liked this podcast episode, listeners, um, do subscribe, like, rate and review. It really does help with it. And if you would like to contribute anything to uh, the kind of production costs of the, the podcast, you can do so via Acast or on Patreon, the link of which will be in the show notes. So over and out uh, from us again. And once again, thanks, Indy. Thanks, Senan. It's been really great chatting with you. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye now.